Howdy folks, and welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and today we're going to hear some stories from another Michael, Michael Batiste of the Elk Calling Academy. Now, this is the episode that almost wasn't, as we lost all of the audio shortly after recording, which would have been a huge shame, because Michael is an amazing storyteller, and he has some great stories to tell in this episode. So I'm not going to steal any of his thunder. We're going to let him go ahead and kick things off, but I want to thank you all for tuning in, and I want to thank Mr. Batiste, Michael Batiste, for sharing his stories with us today. So all that being said, guys, let's let Michael tell you his stories. All right, Michael, welcome to the Hunting Stories Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thank you for uh, reaching out and uh, offering to uh, come and sit down and chit chat with you a little bit tonight. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like, uh, I, I don't know if I told you this already, but, uh, you know, I, I've heard you on plenty of podcasts. I've even seen you on some. I'm a little disappointed you're not wearing a funny hat tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, man, I've, I've, you have a huge wealth of knowledge and it just, you struck me as a storyteller. And so that's why I wanted to reach out and make sure that we heard some of your best stories. So again, thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been a wild ride, um, you know, throughout the years. I, uh, I was, I was blessed to have a grandfather that had a passion for the outdoors. And he's really the one that, you know, introduced, I can remember age five, six years old, and, you know, going fishing with, you know, him and grandma and, you know, just hanging That's out awesome. with him. I, I looked up to him and, you know, admired all of his guns. And, and I mean, so from an early age, I, I had that influence on the fishing and the passion for the outdoors. But unfortunately, uh, he was to that age that he couldn't hunt anymore when, you know, I got to hunting age. But, um, yeah, I mean, some of my fondest memories of childhood is is. Um, you know, having, having grandma and grandpa pick me up and, and in the truck and up, up to the mountains, we go with the camper. And, uh, you know, this, this was in Eastern Oregon. Um, so, you know, I used to take the boat up and, and troll up in reservoirs for trout and, you know, take the, take the camper up over by halfway Oregon, which is, you know, outside of Baker city yeah, and, yeah. and fish high mountain streams up there. And, um, I, I remember one time I, uh, woke up early one morning before anybody else. And, <laughs> and, and I had this, this little fishing pole that was just all mine. And, and, you know, he taught me kind of how to, how to read a little, read a river a little bit, you know, how to, how to look at the boulders and look at the slack water and get an idea of where the fish were hanging. And so, you know, you put a, put a little, little salmon egg on that single leg hook and, and flip it out and watch it drift behind. And then, you know, the fish hit it and, and, he, uh, I, I was fishing there just outside of camp right there. And then he got up and he's like, okay, come on. We're going to, we're going to go up river a little bit. And I was fishing in this one spot and grandpa started working downstream a little bit. And, you know, I was, I was so focused on what I was doing. And all of a sudden I looked down and I couldn't see him. And I was like, holy crap, where'd he go? And so I, uh, leaned over to look down the river a little farther and that rock was completely filled with moss covered with moss and i remember slipping and falling in the river and well i said oh, no. in the creek so so i uh 
managed to get myself back up on shore. But the only problem is, is I lost the grip on my fishing pole when I fell in the water. Oh no. And I was absolutely devastated because, you know, this is, this was my first fishing pole. I mean, I'm, I'm six years old. This is my first pole and I've learned how to fish on this. And, and I was just devastated. And, and, you know, this was, this was early summer time frame, And so the water was still running, you know, fairly high because of the, you know, snow melt and runoff. And I remember, uh, grandma used to always pick me up from school because I, you know, was being raised by a single mom and grandma picked me up and, and she was all kind of giddy. And I'm like, man, you're in a really good mood today. And she goes, Oh, wait until we get to the house and you'll see why. And so <laughs> we, uh, we got to the house and I walked in and, and, you know, there's grandpa and he, uh, he had kind of a grin on his face and, and he goes, Hey, go, go look on the back porch. And I went and looked on the back porch and there's my fishing pole. And one of grandpa's neighbors happened to be up there fishing in the same location. And I guess grandpa told him about the story or something, but he looked down and he saw my fishing rod in the bottom of this pool and he got a stick and fished it out. Oh man. What are the odds of that? (laughs) Yeah. So I got it back and, and, you know, crazy thing was, was that fishing pole stayed with me never got rid of it. And then when I graduated high school and moved out of the house, I mean, I, I had forgotten all about it. And my mom remarried when I was 10 years old and my stepdad, he's the one that really introduced me to hunting, mm-hmm. but he was just a bird hunter. So, I mean, it was pheasant hunting, you know, in, in Hermiston, Oregon. And, um, but he passed away two years ago. And when I was down at mom's the summer after, you know, he had passed and she goes, Hey, do you, do you want all of his fishing stuff? And I was like, Oh, absolutely. Cause you know, he and I used to go out on the boat and fish for salmon and steelhead on the Columbia river. And yeah. we'd go up and fish mountain streams. And, but anyways, I go out to grab all the fishing stuff and there's my fishing pole. <laughs> my, yelled my, it the whole time. my kids fishing pole yeah mom held on to that whole time and so it's uh you know it's sitting in the garage and so it's it's kind of cool because you know I, I can look at that and and you know have all these fond memories of of you know grandpa and fishing in the mountains or picking huckleberries during the summer and just you, you know really the introduction to not only the outdoors but what the outdoors can provide and what you can take out of it if you're willing to really, you know, pause and look around. And that's, that's one of the things that I talk about a lot on several podcasts is, is, you know, focus on the journey, focus, you know, take time to pause and take a look around you and and take everything in and don't be, don't be so focused on the catch or the notch tag or all those things, Mm -hmm. because honestly, the memories that you're creating through all those journeys with family and friends is, is really, it's, it's tremendous. It's, it's something that you can always look back on and go, man, that was, that was a special time. And, you know, that was a great part of my life. And, and so, yeah, truly, truly blessed to have, you know, those people, you know, in my life to, to introduce me to the outdoors and really get me started, you know, in the right path. And then now, 
the journey down the big game, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's a completely we'll, different story. We'll, we'll get into that one in a second. Let's you see, oh, yeah. this is why I knew we needed to have you on the podcast, is because you just immediately jumped into stories. Let's go ahead and introduce yourself, Michael. Like, <laughs> like who are we talking to here? That's okay. I know who you are. I've been following you for a long time, but like to the people that don't know Michael Batiste, who is yeah. Michael Batiste? Go ahead. So as, as you said, I'm, I'm Michael Batiste. I am the founder and owner of Elk Calling Academy, Sawtooth Outdoor Supply, and also uh, Financial Freedom. So, but Elk Calling Academy. So I've worked in the hunting industry. Oh, it's got to be getting close to 18, 20 years now. So mm-hmm. I... Uh, you know, first jumped into the industry doing some stuff with Primos. And then I, I jumped from Primos and became a pro staffer for Rocky Jacobson, which, you know, at that time was bugling bull game calls. And now it's Rocky Mountain hunting calls. But uh, yeah, I was his right hand man for 10 years and then uh, just kind of stepped back and started started doing my own thing and then created Elk Calling Academy three, four years now, which, you know, Elk Calling Academy, it's even though calling is in the name, it, it, it teaches all aspect of elk hunting. It, it, you know, it teaches elk vocalizations, calling scenarios, elk behavior, um, e-scouting. Uh, you know, we even get into some archery topics, you know, FOC mm-hmm. and equipment and, um, you know, a little bit of physical fitness. But it's it's just, it's, it's taking everything that I've learned. I, I started elk hunting in 1988. And so it's taking everything that I've learned over that time and and sharing that knowledge to help people that are new to the sport to shorten the learning curve, but also too maybe those that have been hunting for a little bit, but maybe they haven't had any success or they want more consistent success. And it's, and it's just to kind of expand their knowledge a little bit. So, cause like in that, in that story, I guess we can call it a segue, a segue into who I am. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anybody to teach me big game hunting. I didn't have anybody to teach me elk hunting or deer hunting, you know, bear hunting, any of that. And so really it was, it was me going out and learning it on my own and, you know, trial and error. Now, now, thankfully I had my grandfather that I could call and said, you know, Hey, this is, this is what happened today. This is, you know, this happened, that happened. What should I do? Where should I go? And no, he would, he would give pointers, you know, try this, do that, you know, maybe go to this part of the mountain. Um, Because, you know, thankfully he, he kind of grew up in that same Eastern Oregon area that I was hunting. And so could kind of give, give pointers, but, but yeah, that's, that's what Elk Calling Academy is all about. It's, it's, it's just passing on that knowledge um, and just helping others find success. And, and it's whatever the success, you know, they want to be like, I have one out calling Academy member that, um, he is, I think he's been a member for two years now. Uh-huh. He still has, he still has yet to harvest an elk, but like this year, um, cause I do, I do live Q and a sessions with the, the private members every two weeks. And, he was telling me about the season because we did one last week, which was lessons learned. And, and so I talked about all the lessons that I learned 
you know, out in the field this year and they were talking about their lessons. And he said, you know, he goes, even though I didn't harvest an elk this year, this year was the closest that I've ever gotten into them and had the most interactions. So it was definitely, you know, it was, that was a successful year to him. That's awesome. Where would someone listening to this podcast find the Elk Calling Academy? Like what would you recommend? Is there a website or or Instagram or? Yep. You can go to elkcallingacademy.com. And that gets into it, it is a membership platform that it's kind of a mixture of an e-course. Um, there's tutorial videos on there and then there's recordings of all of the live Q and A's from the last two years. I have a YouTube channel that, you know, has some videos on it. There's a beginner's guide to elk calling on there. There, there, cause I used to do a lot of uh, live Q and A's every Wednesday on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And, and so, you know, Facebook and Instagram are also places to, you know, touch bases and, and link up with, with Elk Calling Academy and other like-minded people on that. But, but yeah, the best, if they truly want to get into the e-course and really truly get, truly get into the lessons and really dive deep into it, the elkcallingacademy.com is the, is the best place to go. And, you know, it's it's a couple of options can can either pay monthly at fifteen dollars a month or there's an annual subscription that's one hundred and fifty dollars for the year that, you know, it saves you 30 bucks versus, you know, the yeah. fifteen dollars a month. And so and so, like I said, you know, every every two weeks, jump on there and do live Q and A's usually start off with a topic um, discussion topic and then, you know, kind of open it up for live and. I used to do it on just a broadcasting platform, but I couldn't see anybody. And for about the last two, three months, I actually switched over to Zoom to where, you know, everybody comes in and we can all see each other and have an interaction. Yeah. And it, and it's great because it's it's just like you're sitting in a room with people and have yeah. conversations and interacting with each other and and yeah. you know, put on put on funny hats, which I did have to laugh. I know you grabbed that, grab that the you know screen capture off of that uh, one podcast that did with uh, Hunts. Yeah, yeah, Guy Duplanchier and yeah, yeah yep. Joe Julia from Elk Rose. There was a group of us on there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I remember watching that podcast. So I was like, I got to grab that little capture there real quick. Um, but cool. Well, I will make sure to to put links to all of this stuff in the show notes. So if anyone's interested, um, ch- check it out. Um, I'll let you guys know that I'm going to be signing up because my goal for this year is to learn how to call. And I'm pretty sure that Michael's going to teach me that. So the next year I can make sure I harvest a bull. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, okay. I know you said you had some stories in mind, yes. maybe at least one to get things started off. And you can either start with that, and it may be the same thing that I'm about to request, but the other one would be how you did get into big game hunting. Is, is yeah. that the same story? Yeah, it is, actually. Okay. So, um, so, you know, like I said, got, got introduced to, you know, bird hunting, pheasant hunting, and absolutely loved it. And then it just kind of started morphing into more, you know, waterfowl hunting. And then I had, I had a group of friends in high school that, you know, loved the outdoors and loved hunting as well. And so, um, you know, high school didn't have a lot of time because, you know, played a lot of sports in school. And mm-hmm. so it was very limited time. But the nice thing about Hermiston, Oregon, is you had a lot of hunting opportunities not that far from town. So it didn't really take that yeah. long. And so, so, you know, we used, we used to go out and, and deer hunt 
Um, you know, I remember one of the first deer hunts that I did and, and, and again, grandpa stepped up to the plate cause I didn't have a rifle. And so he hands me <laughs> a, uh, a Winchester model seven featherweight 308 and says, okay, you want to go deer hunting? Here's a rifle that I use for deer hunting. You go. So I'm like, okay, well, I have a driver's license. I have a rifle. I have a hunting license and, and deer tag. Hmm. I don't have a vehicle. And so my mom used to work out in McNary, Oregon, which is, which is over on the river. So what she would do is we would leave the house a little bit early and she would take me up and drop me off in this place called Juniper Canyon. And she's like, okay, I'll meet you back here at the parking lot at the end of the day. So I would just grab the rifle and go up in that Juniper Canyon. And, you know, I thought it was the coolest thing and a lot of fun until I shot my first deer back in there all by myself. <laughs> and so here I, here I am, uh, a 16, 17 year old kid, probably, you know, and since I was an athlete, I was in pretty good shape. So I I'd, I'd hiked back in that Canyon quite a ways. Yeah. Um, Not thinking about how you're going to get out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and so, you know, it was, it was a little fork and horn buck and I was like, ah, not a problem. You know, I can just grab the horns and drag this thing. I mean, right now, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm six to 218 pounds. Wouldn't have a problem dragging a deer. When I was 16, 17 years old, I was five, seven, five, eight, maybe 105 pounds. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I learned, learned really early on that one that, uh, you know, getting an animal out when you're a kid like that, when you're a teenager, it's, uh, it's a lot of work. And, and I, I, I remember I was, I was sitting there dragging it for a while and I was like, okay, I'm just going to break this thing up into pieces. The backpack that I had was one of those old wooden frame military rucksacks. Not, <laughs> I mean, that thing was uncomfortable as all get out when it was empty, but let yeah. alone you, know, you break down a buck and, and I had, you know, really no clue. I mean, I'm kind of sitting there looking at this thing going, okay, you know, here's, Here's separation of, of, you know, me, you can, you can see different lines and it's like, we're just, we're just going to start whittling. We're just going to start taking, <laughs> we can get this thing small enough to fit in this, this rucksack and, and, you know, get out. And, um, there was no way I could fit all of that into that, in that wooden frame rucksack. So it, it took me, uh, you know, two trips and I, uh, I got to the second trip. And I made it out to the parking area with about three minutes to spare before mom comes pulling in. And she pulls out with the set with the second load or the first load with the second load. So, okay. So yeah, it, uh, it, it was done, made it. And she kind of pulls up and she's kind of looking out her window and she really has this concerned look and she shuts the car off and she gets out and she's like, um, are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, why? She goes, look down at your clothes. I was just blood from my chin all the way down to my boots and my hands. And I had it up in my hair. And, and she's like, is, is, is any of that yours? And I'm like, I don't think I cut myself. I'm pretty much <laughs> sure, you know, it, it's all from the deer. Well, you know, mom wasn't driving a truck, you know, here, yeah. here 
he is with a with a Chevy Malibu Classic. And so now all of a sudden mom's looking at me and she's looking at the car and you're not getting in this car. <laughs> well, and, and, and so she's like, well, what are we going to do with this thing? And I said, we're just, we're going to have to throw it in the trunk. And she goes, do you have anything to lay down on the carpet? Uh, no, don't you have anything in there? And she's like, well, first off, you're not getting in my car wearing the clothes that you are. <laughs> So she goes, turn around. And I turn around and she goes, okay, your backside is fairly clean, except for a little bit of dirt. Now, mind you, this parking lot is right off a highway that follows the Columbia River that goes from, you know, Umatilla Hermiston area up towards Milton Freewater and Walla Walla. So there's trucks and cars and all kinds of stuff just zooming by. She goes, okay, the backside is clean. Strip your clothes off, lay the clothes on the bottom of my trunk with your backside down, bloody side up, and then you can put all this deer meat on top of that. Okay. So I can only imagine what it's like with people driving by. And here's this, here's this 16, 17 year old kid that's stripping down to his underwear. And then not only that, then has to grab all the deer and put that on top of all that. But then I had to walk over to the water and wash my hands and my arms before I got into the car. So I'm sure here's the spectacle of this car with my mom standing there leaning against the car trunk up, and I'm over there squatted down on the water, washing my hands and my arms, you know, getting the blood off so I can get in the car and we can go home. So, but um, yeah, that's that's just what kind of started, started the journey. And then um, I had two teachers in high school both science teachers, one of them I really, I really looked up to. In fact, I went to college uh, to be a high school biology teacher because of him, Mr. Kodama. Um, he, he was does so he, cool. Does he know that? He does. So he, oh, he passed cool. away several years ago. But yeah, he, uh, he used to come out to my house and pick me up. And then he and I would go pheasant hunting or crappie fishing or, you know, all kinds of stuff. But uh, so there was, there was Mr. Kodama who was a traditional archer, longbows and rapers. And then there was Mr. Gorham, who was an earth science teacher that was a compound guy. Now, this all was taking place in 85, 86. And so compounds, I mean, you know what compounds are today, but compounds back then were, you know, a lot different. And so, (laughs) um, so I used to have these guys talk about, you know, hunting with a bow. And I was like, man, that just, it, it sounds so cool. And so Kodama gave me my very first bow, which was a Fred, Fred bear, 45 pound takedown recurve. And, and so Hermiston, we didn't really have an archery shop, but we had a barber shop that did sell archery equipment. <laughs> so, perfect pairing. It's yeah, perfect exactly. Pairing. Get your hair cut, pick up some arrows on the way out. And so, yep. so yeah, ran, they, ran they, they clean and, up your hair and uh, turn yeah, you into yeah. the string. Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> no, I went, went down there and picked up some uh, Easton Access XX75s and, and dad brought home three straw bales and, and, you know, I put paper plates out there and just start shooting that recurve. And that's what really got the archery bug started. Just, yeah. you know, shooting that and, um, you know, then, you know, like I said, because my parents lived just right outside the city limits. So I'd take that bow and go up in the sagebrush and, and hunt jackrabbits just yeah. to, just to you know hunt with it yeah 
That's amazing. And then, yeah. And so, you know, I, I had a couple of buddies that got into archery also. And, and so there's, there's the little 3d well, it's not, back then it wasn't a 3d course. It was, it was, you know, straw bales with, you know, uh, a flat paper target that had, you know, animals printed on them. And so we would always go out and, you know, shoot that. And, uh, Jay, one of the buddies that I always did that with, he had a, he had a guy that he worked with that was, you know, pretty, pretty big into archery. And, uh, that guy kept giving me a bad time about the recurve. He's like, Oh, you got to go a compound. You got to go a compound. You got to go a compound. And so he had a Fred bear whitetail two compound bow. And so I bought that from him. And so that was my first compound, but I still shot it fingers and instinctive same way I did my recurve. And yeah. so, you know, so I shot with that for a couple of years and then finally, you know, when I was, uh, 18, I, uh, was in the national guard. And so I said, okay, I'm going to try this archery hunting thing for, for elk. And oh, man. <laughs> before the, before the season, uh, you know, my, my uncle was, you know, a big hunter, his, he, he grew up hunting and his family hunting. And, and so I told him, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to take this bow and I'm going to go try to try to go elk hunting. And he goes, oh, he goes, okay, I got something for you. And I, I, I told this part of the story on another podcast, but he, uh, he goes in the other room and he comes back in and he brings this thing. He goes, what's this? And he, and, and he goes to blow on it and then not really much happened. I mean, it kind of squeaked and popped and he looked down and he goes, oh, <laughs> he goes, hold, hold on a minute. And he, and he rips this thing off the top. And then he goes in the other room and then he comes back in and he has a condom. Oh God. And he, and he <laughs> opens up, the, he opens up the condom and he stretches it over this deal and he gets a paper towel and he cleans all this stuff off of it. And then he grabs his little pocket knife and he makes this little slit and he blows on it and it makes this sound. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is that? He goes, well, that's, that's a cow elk. This is a, this is a cow elk call. And I'm like, where did you get that? He goes, Oh, he goes, my brothers and I made them. He goes, it's just, it's, it's an old pill minder box and the condom on the latex, when you blow on it, you, you know, you put pressure with your bottom lip and I'm like, okay, first off, there ain't a snowball's chance in hell that I'm putting my lips on that condom. There's no freaking way. So and he kind of looks at me and he goes, just, it's not used. And I'm like, well, yeah, I saw you take it out of the package, but still. <laughs> condom. And so he finally, oh, talks, he finally talks me into it. And I said, fine. So I gave it a try. And it, I, I'm not going to say it was a perfect representation of a, of a house ground, <laughs> but uh I was like, you know what, what the heck, what do I have to lose? So I got a question. Where, where did your uncle, you said his uncle and his buddies, where did they get the idea of making this thing? Like he said it was homemade. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, looking back on it, I, I had no clue at that time, but for spending all the time in the industry that I have and in the call industry that I have, the only thing I can think of is those early pioneers like Larry D Jones and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if they read an article or something 
that Larry was talking, because if I remember right, I think Larry kind of went that same route when he developed his, you know, first okay. elk call. And so, so I, you know, I, Honestly, I don't know how they came up with it. For all I know, yeah. it, was, it was, you know, tipping the brown bottle back a time or two, too many times <laughs> on the campfire and, and hey, let's yeah. So I, I don't know, but. I was going to say, it's either really good drunk innovation yeah. or, or just a bunch of weirdos. So like, I don't know. I don't know if there's much in between, but if Larry uh, B. Jones was doing it at the time, I, be, I believe that that's probably where they found it. I think it was. Because, um, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, because around that time, you know, that was 88, 89, uh, 88. I don't think, yeah, I guess Primos had kind of, did they start then? God, I don't remember. It's it's so long ago. Yeah. But I, I know Larry was one of the first, you know, pioneers on all that. And, yeah. Um, I, I know other people, too, had taken turkey reeds and, and headed out yeah. in the elk woods. And, um, you know, because that early to late 80s was, was when calling really got started you know, for gotcha. but so, so yeah, so I decided I'm going to do this. So I have a call, I have a bow, I have three arrows. Um, you know, I, I was in the national guard, so, you know, I had camouflage. And so, so yeah, I got up one morning and, and put my BDUs on and, and I did my military face paint and, and my threw on my boonie hat and threw that stuff in the truck and started driving. Didn't really have a plan or thought of, where I was going to go or what I was going to do. And I was like, well, yeah. you know, I've, I've kind of been up in this area before. And so I started heading up towards Tollgate, Oregon. And, and I was like, well, it's, it's, it's mountainous. I've heard people talk about Tollgate, you know, while hunting again. So, um, didn't have a map, didn't know where I was going. Um, so <laughs> I, I for success. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, I, uh, turned off the main road, hit a, gra hit a gravel road and just started driving, you know, just looking at things and, and, you know, it's starting to get a little bit more light and I can see a little bit more. And I said, well, this kind of looks like a decent area, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of area that, you know, I'd go look for if I was deer hunting. And, and so I had already been, you know, deer hunting a few years at that time. And so, so I, I, I parked the truck and, and, uh, you know, grabbed my stuff and just started walking down this road. And, and then I kind of saw this, this cut road off of it, this older road that was kind of grassy and rocky. And so I started walking down that road. And I remember I walked down there about hundred, 100, 200 yards. And I, and I see this thing mounted to the side of the tree and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I walk over and I'm like, oh, this is one of those tree stands. So it was down only five feet off the ground. Yeah. So I was like, well, shoot, if somebody's going to put a tree stand here, that must mean, you know, they know something it didn't even have the seat platform. It was just the bottom foot platform. So yeah. I jumped up there and sat and my feet are dangling off and I'm kicking <laughs> over and I'm like, yeah, I said, I don't think this is really going to do much. So I hopped down and got back on the road and walked down the road. Now, mind you, this is all probably within 30 minutes of me leaving the truck. So <laughs> I mean, I, sat I there for a good seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't been out, I haven't been out much at all. And, and, and so all of a sudden I, uh, come around corner on the, on, on the road and, and here's this wet spot in the road. And I'm like, man, it's kind of weird. What is that? And so I picked one of the rocks up and sniffed it and here's this real musky smell. And I'm like, what the, what is that? And, and so I'm like, eh. so I, so I grabbed that pill minder and, and just, I tried to do, <laughs> 
a cow call and probably sounded like an angry, mad Russian, the way this sounds. Yeah, just really sharp. <laughs> and just from over the rise, oh, and I'm like, oh, and then I see this rack just come running up and I'm like, oh, and so I fumble and trying to knock an arrow real quick. And all of a sudden here comes this five point bull and I'm just sitting there and man, that bow's just shaking and the arrow shaking. I'm just, I'm, I'm frozen. I'm, I'm just yeah. in awe. And, and this bull, you know, comes up and he bugles a couple of times and he's pacing back and forth. And then he turns and he goes back over the knob and, and I'm finally the shaking stops and I'm like, Oh, that was the coolest thing I have ever experienced. <laughs> now what? I'm going to follow him. So I went up and I went over the roll a little bit over that, that knob and down the backside again. And I'm like, okay. And I still had the arrow knocked and everything. And, and so I hit that pill minder again and he screams and I see him coming through the trees and I'm like, man, okay. Pick a spot. Grandpa always says aim small, miss small. And, and he comes up and he, he starts pacing again. He stops and he bugles. And so I, I draw back, let that arrow fly and how it hit its mark. I have no stinking clue. Wow. And he blows out of there and, and he only ran 50, 60 yards and falls over. And, and I'm, I'm watching all this and now, mind you, remember I said only 30 minutes from the truck, I'm maybe two, 250 yards, 275 yards from my truck. That's amazing. Don't tell me you tried to drag him out. <laughs> I did. I did. So I, I went up, I, I went up and, and gutted him out. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is all I got to do is just go up this, go up this little, little knob. And there's that old road I can walk back and drive the truck down here and, you know, slide him into the back of the truck. And man, I grabbed that rack and went to pull and nothing, no. nothing. No, yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> budging. And so I'm like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do this. Uh, we gotta do this in pieces. And so I, I ran over, got my truck, drove the truck down that grassy, rocky road, just on the other side of the knob. And then as I would take a piece off, I would walk it to the truck and then I'd come back and I'd take another piece off and walk it to the truck. And I was smart this time because I actually had game bags. There you go. <laughs> but my game bags were what my grandfather gave me, which were old sheets that my grandmother had sewn together to make game bags. So innovation runs in your family. I'm guessing. It does. It does. Yeah. You know, we're innovators of, uh, of, yeah. of, of condom milk calls and, and game bags. So had, <laughs> had we, had we known then what we know now, we, uh, might've figured out a way to market. And, yeah. You know, and, should have trademarked all that stuff back in the eighties. Exactly. <laughs> now the funny thing is, is, is once I got everything and I got it loaded in the truck, I, uh, drove back and, and, and there's a place in Tollgate called the Tollgate station. And, and I, I had been in the Tollgate station one before, once before up there snow skiing on a, on a high school trip up there at Spout Springs. And I, I walk in there to get something to drink 
And, and it used to be when you walked in Tollgate Station, you took a left and they had this whole room that was dedicated to Bigfoot. And so, <laughs> so I, I, I grabbed a, grabbed something to drink and I grabbed a snack and I walked in there and I was walking through looking at all the casts and stuff. And, and here's a map of Oregon with pin marks. And then I noticed on the side, it said the pin marks represent Bigfoot sightings. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then all of a sudden I look at the map a little bit closer and I'm like, holy crap. That cluster of pins right there is exactly where I was hunting. And look at all these Bigfoot sightings. And so, <laughs> so, so no clue of where I'm going. But yeah, why, why don't we go into a place that has tons of Bigfoot sightings and all these pins and pull an elk out of there? Why not? So Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's, that was, that was amazing. The, oh, that was, that was the introduction to, uh, to archery elk hunting. Um, you know, if, if it wasn't for pure dumb luck that, that day never would have, would have gone the way it did. So, but yeah, you know, I've heard plenty of, of times I'd rather be lucky than good. So Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that is being, being part of that, that is part of elk hunting. It's, it's being in the right place at the right time. And, yeah. um, but that, that really, really got the juices flowing. And then, uh, yeah, I moved, I moved up here to Idaho in 2003, 2004, um, got linked up with a group of guys that, you know, welcomed me into their camp and took me back into, you know, their hunting spot. And back there in that hunting spot, and, and I, I still didn't know how to use a diaphragm read at this point. I mean, I was all external reads, external calls. I mean, it was it was the pre. But you graduated part. off of the the condoms. Yes, yes, yes. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, wasn't wasn't packing wasn't packing the uh, condom laced pill minder box anymore. It was it was uh, Primo's Terminator and uh, the old <laughs> okay, the old. Okay. Uh, the old 901 lead cow and calf bite, bite down cow. Crawl. Gotcha. And so, but yeah, I linked up with these guys and this was, you know, seven, eight miles back in, it was an ATV trail at that time, but you know, seven, eight miles back in, in the Canyon in the back country away from the roads. And, um, you know, this is the type of place where you're laying in your tent at night and, and it's not uncommon to hear 12, 15 different bulls just. Wow. Raining at the night and that's when it was like okay i want more i i want to learn everything i can about these because these guys just fascinate me i have the utmost respect for them and i want to learn all i can about these guys because i want to come out and interact with them i want to come out and be successful year after year after year you know hunting these guys yeah. And, and that's, that's what started the journey. You know, I, I tried a couple of diaphragms at, at that point. I'm like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And holy crap. When I first started, it was, it was ugly. It wasn't pretty. It was gagging and spitting and, <laughs> and making horrible sounds and, you know, spitting the diaphragm read out and almost puking to get that thing out of my mouth. And, yeah. Uh, so then I, and, and these were traditional reads. And then I stumbled across, you know, the Primo's uh, pallet plates. And then okay. that actually, that actually started 
Um, I still couldn't bugle worth a darn by the next season. <laughs> I can cow call okay, but I couldn't bugle worth a darn. So, and we're just you know, teaching yourself here. You're just taking the taking the equipment and trying to figure it out. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. So it it was just you know figuring it out and watching people and um, you know I, I I played piano growing up and I never learned how to read music, but I could play by ear. If I could hear somebody play something or hear it, I could match it. Okay. And, and, and so, and that's, that's kind of what I started doing and, um, you know, getting the old Primo's truth series, VHS tapes and, and, you know, listening to that and then, okay, pausing it and trying to mimic that. And, and then, you know, kind of watching the body language of the elk. Okay. What do I think this sound means? And what do I think that sound means? And, and then it morphed into, um, you know, journaling when I'm out hunting, you know, the yeah. day, you know, temperature, moon phase, weather, what the activity was, you know, interactions I had, um, you know, what I did sound wise, how they reacted. If there was something that I, if I was able to sit there and watch an elk and watch their body demeanor and watch, you know, listen to the sounds and go, okay. And, and so then I kind of started taking what I was seeing in their body demeanor and what I was hearing in vocalizations and I would put it into human context. Gotcha. So, okay. you know, you know, aggression or fear or, you know, excitement. And, and so that just kind of started that whole process of starting to, you know, put all these pieces of the puzzle together. And, um, you know, you want to talk about somebody diving down a rabbit hole to find out, <laughs> to get to Wonderland and, and see what's in the bottom. That, that was me with this. I mean, books yeah. that I can get my hands on. And uh, if I was, you know, at a, at a hunting show here in Boise and somebody was giving a seminar, man, I was, I was, you know, sitting there listening. So, yeah, that's cool. I, a question for you. So that moment you decided you're like, I'm going to figure this out. Was that laying um, in bed, hearing all the bugling? No, it was actually, I was on the mountainside and, uh, I, I had been, you know, kind of calling back and forth with a bull for probably almost an hour okay. and, and it was sitting there going, okay. You know, thinking back to that, first time where I made two little sounds and he just came running in, you know, and, and I had had inner other interactions since, you know, between that 1988 and this 2004, um, I had, had other elk hunts and more pure dumb luck with, with elk hunts, but, <laughs> but no, it, it, it's, I was, I was, you know, calling to this bull and I'm just sitting there, you know, why, why, why isn't he coming to me? Why isn't he coming in? You, you yeah. know, I'm, I obviously he's interested because he's bugling at me and I'm saying these things that, um, you know, I've heard other, other cows make and, and it just started that question of why, yeah. Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this work? And, and, you know, I didn't understand setups. I didn't understand thermals. I didn't, I didn't have any of that knowledge, but it, but it's just that first question of why. Gotcha. That's what, that's what put me on the journey to answer that question of why. I mean, there's still times when I'm out in the woods where I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so for all you guys that are new into the elk hunting world, the question of why never goes away. <laughs> yeah. But the more frustrating thing is when you know, oh yeah, I know why. I know why they yeah. walked away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, had, oh, yeah. I, I had a very short season this year, but I had one interaction. And as soon as I was like, oh, there he is, there's the bull. And then it went away and I was like, oh, I know why. 
those thermals are going right to him. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, yeah. The the question why never never ever goes away. The other thing is 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 you will constantly make mistakes, but the other thing too is you will constantly learn and you will constantly yeah. evolve. And absolutely. And, and, and I think that's one of the keys. And and, and I talk to the Elk Calling Academy members a, a, a lot about this. And, and I challenge everyone before the season, before you go out, I want you to write down one thing down. Just one thing down that you want to learn this season. Whether whether it's you want to learn more about your hunting area or you want to learn a new access into your favorite hunting area or you want to learn a new calling scenario or but just pick something to learn every season and you end up kind of focusing on learning that or answering that question. And then what happens is if you answer that question really early, early in the season, you'll, you'll find yourself all of a sudden coming up with a new, yeah, something you want to learn or something you want to grow with. And Absolutely. I think we talked about this earlier. I was like, I I've got my thing for this year yes. and it is, yep. it is calling. I need to, I need to get better at calling. I'm a good caller, but I have no idea why I'm calling. So I need to figure out why. That's and, and, my, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, elk are very, very, they are a dynamic social herd animal. And vocalizations is, is one of the key dynamics in their structure, in their biology, in their DNA. I mean, it's, it's vocalizations. And I mean, elk talk all year round. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, people only think the bulls bugle only in September. No, I've, I've, heard him bugle in June. So majority of the bugling and there's, there's a lot of bull vocalizations that only happen in September and only happen during the rut, but they are very vocal all year round. And, and it's, it's just like, well, first morning this year. So I had been, so we've been hunting the same area. We switched to this area about five years ago. And I'm calling. You say first morning, is this opening day, like September 1st, or is this when you got into the woods? So this, this was my first, so season opened on, on August 30th for us. And so we didn't get out there until Labor Day weekend, but we got up to camp that Thursday night. So this would have been, you know, Friday morning, which season had been open three days four days at that okay. point. Got it. And, and so, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm constantly studying the map of our area and I'm like, okay, what pockets haven't we been into what areas? And, and so that was one of the goals this year is I want to go in and I want to hunt this Creek drainage. And, and I've been wanting to go in there for years past, but we had to hike in and it's a pretty good hike. Now there's a motorcycle trail so earlier this year, I picked up two of those Baku e-bikes to, okay. so, cause, cause Bryce, my long, Bryce has been hunting with me for several years. We, we used to hunt off motorcycle trails a bunch and, you know, just to get away from people. And, and I sold my bike a few years ago, but, but I picked up these e-bikes and I'm like, okay, now we have a chance to get into this Creek drainage because we can ride these e-bikes and, my fiance and I had ridden up there. We we rode the motorcycle trail in May, just up to this area, just because I was like, I just want to ride in here a little bit. And I just I just want to see. I want to see if it's worthwhile. Okay. And and I mean, my fiance and I drove up there, rode up there in May, to 
the place I wanted to. And here's just elk tracks just all over. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's, that's all I need to see. We don't need to hike around. I'll figure this out hunting. So, so yeah, that first morning, Bryce and I, you know, get in the dark, hit the trail right up and we parked the bikes at the same place that, that my fiance and I did. And I'm looking around and I'm like, I don't see the elk tracks that were here in May. Huh. I said, well, okay, let, let, let's just start walking up this old road. It just goes up a little ways and then ends and then we'll find trails and work up in this creek drainage. I'm walking up this old road and I'm really, I, I, I'm seeing old elk tracks from, you know, May. early spring. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Ooh, was this really a good idea? And so we get to the end of the road and we start working back. And, and I said, well, and, and from studying the map, I knew there was a bench back in there. And I was like, you know, I, I want to get into this bench, which is right on the edge of this basin. And I want to check this out. Well, as we started getting deeper in, all of a sudden we start coming across elk trails and it's like, okay, here's, here's a random track. Here's a onesie track. And I'm like, okay, so, so we've got some elk in the area. It did some location bugles and not gotten any answers. And, and all of a sudden we pop out of the trees and here's this meadow with thigh high, tall grass. You can see trails of things walking through this tall, a creek coming through the middle of it, you know, on the side is a, is a shale wall and you can see up to this great big tall mountain and Bryce and I are just looking at each other and going, holy cow, just what a amazing place. Yeah. And so I'm standing there in the meadow and I'm bugling and nothing. And all of a sudden I look back and Bryce is shaking his head. And I said, what are, what are you shaking your head about? He goes, dude, you're, you're supposed to be one of the world's best callers and you can't even get a freaking answer. You suck. <laughs> so, that sounds that's, like a good friend. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of hunting partners that I share the woods yeah. with. Yeah. And so I, uh, I took the, took the grunt tube and I just flicked it and smacked him in the belly with it and then just dropped it and he grabbed it. And I'm like, fine, you call. And so he's sitting there bugling and I wander across the other side of the, of the meadow. And I find this trail that crosses the Creek and I get up on the other side and I just start doing some cow vocalizations. Yeah. All of a sudden I hear something to my left and I look and here comes this flash of tan. And at that point, Bryce has caught up with me and here comes this flash of tan. And real quick, was Bryce calling at this time too, or just you with the cow vocalizations? He had done a few cow calls, you know, kind of with me. We we were, we were kind of doing, um, you know, tandem, tandem cow vocalizations. So you can sound like a small little herd and, and all of a sudden, you know, this flash of tan and then it comes up and yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it comes out and it's a bull. And Bryce, we're frozen. I do get an arrow knock before he comes out. And he comes walking. And then all of a sudden he stops perfectly with a tree blocking those vitals. And there was a low branch. Always. And he just, he just dropped his head down to the ground to look over that, under that branch. And I mean, that dude stood there for the longest time. 
And then he turned and started to walk away. And so Bryce busted back across the creek over into the meadow and started calling. Well, now this dude's just going back and forth above me. He's, he's trying to figure out a way around me. He doesn't know what I am, but he knows something's there. Something's yeah. something's out of the ordinary. I mean, they, they know their home place. I mean, it's just like if you walk into your house and there's something new in the corner of the living room when you walk in, all of a sudden you're like, that's never been there before. What is that? Where did it come from? How did they get there? And that's, that's kind of how these elk are, but he, so he's, he's trying to loop around me and get to Bryce. And so I'm trying to move up and, and improve my position. And, and, you know, finally the dude turns and, and walks away. So I go back and I jump across the Creek and, and I, and I tell Bryce that, uh, I said, yeah. I said, he's, he, he turned and walked away. And then all of a sudden Bryce goes, did that bull mew? I said, yeah, he mewed three or four times. I, I didn't know bulls mewed. And I'm like, are you serious? I said, Bryce, think about it. When they're born as calves, they don't know how to bugle. And, you know, they spend a year to two and a half years of their life with the cows and calves. So the only vocalization that they hear is muse and that's the yeah, first vocalizations yeah. that they make so i i mean it's it's it, it's just like a child saying its first word you know that's the first word for you know that elk and so i said well i said he just wandered just up there i said let's circle back around jump on the other side of the creek and let's get over where he came from and i'll put you down on this point and then I'll back up because we could see through. I said, we'll put you on that point. I'll, I'll get on the backside and he should come right across for you. And Bryce goes, what do, what do you mean? I said, dude, I, I had my shot opportunity. And that's one of the things that we do. We don't, we don't switch call or shooter by day. We, we switch by interaction. So, yeah. so I said, I had an interaction. I had a shot opportunity. You're the shooter now. And so we get over there. And I start calling and I start doing a breeding sequence, which is basically a bull with a hot cow. And then I could see that bull start picking down through the trees. And then all of a sudden Bryce goes, he's coming, knock an arrow. He's coming, knock an arrow. And I'm like, why is he telling me to knock an arrow? You're the shooter. I'm calling him in for you. And so I barely knocked an arrow and that dude popped up right there by me. No and then, way. And yeah. And he flew right past Bryce. And then, you know, right into my lap. And, and so, but, but that's one of those things where, you know, that was something that Bryce learned in that moment about, you know, bulls mewing. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, in fact, see, I, I told you memories were going to pop in and I'm going to dive down a rabbit hole. Um, Let's do it. So I, I, I remember I was, I was over at uh international well, hold on michael real quick oh, yes, yes yes that bull popped up yeah did you put an arrow through it no oh okay i, I had we had to finish that story before we moved on to the rabbit hole yeah. but go ahead I mean, you can uh, you finish know, you can finish as to what happened there and then uh, maybe jump down uh, hour, hour, hour and a half in the first morning and and in a bowl of uh, a four by four bowl so i was like uh mm. I don't know if I really want to end my season this oh, year. Oh, okay. You let him go. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Reasonable. So, yeah. Well, and it's one of those things too where um, I want to learn more about that area. But, but yeah. So, so, so the bull mewing that, that reminds me International Sportsman's Expo. 
um, over in Salt Lake City, Utah, Sandy, Utah, um, elk calling contest. So, um, you know, I've, I've competed in the world of calling championships and all that kind of stuff. And, and I used to always go over and call in this contest. And so uh, my number gets drawn and I get up there and it's 45 seconds of cow vocalizations, 45 seconds of bull vocalizations. So I do my cow vocalizations, then I roll into the bull vocalizations and I'm doing my different bugles and I turned to do a different bugle and I'm mute. And then I went into the bugle and I immediately went, holy crap, you just screwed up. You just did a cow sound in the middle of your bull routine. What are you doing? This isn't your first time on stage. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I finished my routine and I, I walk off stage shaking my head. And, uh, but they loved it, didn't they? Well, no, I go, I go back to the group of buddies and they're like, what are you shaking your head about? You sounded great. And I said, did you guys not hear me mew? Did you not hear me throw a cow sound in the middle of the, uh, of the bull vocalizations? And they're like, yeah, did you not mean to do that? And I said, no. I said, I, I, I just, flip that switch to where I was like in, out in the woods hunting where I was mixing in a cow sound with bull vocalizations. And, and so I said, God, I said, I can't believe I screwed up like that. I blew this. And, and, and I was really hard on myself. And then Chad Shearmeyer comes out and he's, he's, he's announcing the top five. He announces five, four, three, two, <laughs> And this year's winner and he calls my name and I'm like, what the shit? And so, you know, I go up there on stage and, and, you know, it was a, it was a Butler bag, sleeping bag and a, and a 50 caliber muzzle loader. And I was like, holy <laughs> cow. And, and so after, after all that, I, I come off stage and I, I go back over there and, and a couple of the judge judges walk up and, and the judges were guides. And, and they said, man, you are the only person that I've ever heard that threw mixed in a mew into your bull vocalizations. They go, we've, we've heard that out guiding hunters all the time, but we've never heard anybody do it during a competition. And I was like, Oh yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I'm honest. It was a complete and utter screw up. <laughs> That's all right. Get you the W. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I've never done it on stage since then. So. Oh, no, you got to try it again. You have to. Uh, I, You know, I, I stopped. I guess you got to. Depends on the judges, right? If you have a bunch of guides. Yeah, I, I stopped competing three, four years ago. So, okay. um, but I don't know. Each each year I watch the World Out Calling Championships and I'm like, you know. Yeah, the juices are kind of flowing to get back on stage and call a little bit. And and this year, um, so I, I mean, I've been pretty fortunate because of, you know, my career in the industry and the people that I've met. Um, a couple of years ago, I did a, a seminar tour with Wayne Carlton and, and it was kind of a kind of a farewell tour that Wayne was doing. And so um, I, I was I was honored that, uh, you know, I was able to uh, do some seminars with him and we were doing tandem seminars together. And so. Uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to know Wayne pretty well over the years and his son, Mark. And, um, you know, Wayne and Mark kind of split off from HS a few years back and started needed by Carlton, you know, call company with, you know, mm -hmm. turkey calls and predator calls and elk calls. And and so I've, I've, I've been working with Mark quite a bit on call development and stuff. And so, uh, you know, they've primarily done wider frame reads. And so this year I've been working on a medium frame. And a narrow frame and so mark 
just got those fine-tuned and I got the package two days before I was heading to camp to you know field test these reeds and man I'll tell you what that that first morning in fact with that with that bull that came running and mewing I was I was on one of those medium frames just doing um, you know like I said that that cow hurt that cow herd talk dynamic you know cow calf communication and man I was just I was amazed with how well this reed sounds and, and, and in fact um, after that bull and Bryce and I were standing there talking and I said man I'm, I'm really impressed with this reed and, and Bryce goes it's just he goes it's one of the most realistic sounds and tones from a diaphragm reed that I've ever heard for replicating cow sounds and I said you know this is a read that I would definitely take on stage to do cow vocalizations. Yeah. So I said, you know, yeah, yeah I, might, I mean, if you use I it in the wild, a, you use it on stage, right? Yeah, I might, uh, I might make a run at the uh, World Elk Calling Championships next year. Uh, okay, well, we'll be rooting for you, man. Um, is you. that read on sale, or when is that thing going to be available? Uh, after the first of the year. As so, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, right now it's, 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 like I said, narrow frames, medium frames, and then actually the wide frame too. primarily right now I've been developing kind of a, a light to medium latex mix on it. And so now we're going to transition into go deeper into the medium and on into the, the heavier latex reads, um, okay. for, you know, older cow sounds, you know, more aggressive bugle types. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, great cow call. Um, you can bugle on it. You just can't get real aggressive because it is a, a fairly light latex on it. But um, no, it's, it, it's kind of cool getting that opportunity to, you know, be able to field test, you know, that's super cool. Yeah. Items like that. And, and yeah, so, um, awesome. but yeah, so, so that was, uh, that was a good lesson that, you know, Bryce learned on, on that one. And we, we definitely learned a lot more about, you know, that Creek. So that, cause that was, that was one of my goals going in the year was, was, you know, really learning that area. Um, what's funny is the next day we get up in the morning and I said, okay, I said, I had two opportunities yesterday. I said, I'm going to focus Bryce on you and, you know, your, your son, Brandon, Brandon's hunted with us for quite a few years now. He's, he's 21 years old now. And I said, so I'm just going to focus on you guys. And I'm going to, I'm going to call for you. I said, I'm not even going to pack a boat. I'm really this, is all in, this is all in Idaho, right? Yep. This is in, okay. in this, this is day two. I said, I'm, uh, I, I'm going to leave the bow at camp this, today. So I'm just going to focus on calling and, um, each, each member there's, there's five of us in camp. We all have our favorite areas. And, and so we went up into Bryce's favorite area and, and it's just, it's, it's a great big bench plateau that just has, God, there's an insane amount of wallows all over this place. And so we go, we go in towards the wallow where his bull last year died. And, and we didn't even know about that wallow until, you know, was looking for his bull. Um, so, yeah. so we go in there and there had been a bull in that wallow probably 20 minutes before we had gotten there. I mean, the water was all murky. There was, you know, mud on the trail on the way out of it. And so um, now, mind you, this is the start of the season. I mean, it's 90 degrees up in the mountains. And, and so, you know, Bryce, I, you know, we're sitting there talking. And I said, look, I said, this is your hunt. I said, but just know with these temps, these elk are going to look for cool, dark draws in cool, dark places. And he goes, well, we're, we're in a cool, dark draw. I said, yeah. He goes, I've never really 
hung out all day by a wallow. I said, well, you know, they're heading to bed. I said, moon's fairly bright. I said, but midday activity, wall is a great place to be midday. And so we hung out there all day and you did some blind calling and we, uh, nothing during midday. So we kind of went quiet and rested again. And, and so I said, okay, so, and I, and I packed the video camera cause I'm, I'm re-recording and, and recording a bunch of new videos for the e-course. And, and so I, uh, turned the camera on and, and said, okay, you know, Hey, it's, it, it's about five 55, you know, we're going to get going about six o'clock here evening time. And, um, you know, this is, this is the read that I'm using. And I showed, you know, that read and, and I said, this is, you know, what I'm going to be doing and, you know, the breeding sequence and, and, and so I, I, I had the camera focusing on the area that I was going to be walking around so people could see how I move around when I'm doing this. Yeah. I started that video. I started calling and I did probably about four and a half minutes constant of calling. And then, you know, I moved away from the camera and all of a sudden I look up and here comes two bulls just trotting. <laughs> And the next thing, next thing I know, I've got a five point bull standing completely frontal at 16 yards from me. And you're and, in your bows at camp. And my bows at camp. <laughs> yep. And so the only problem is, 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 you know, Bryce couldn't get a clear shot at him. Brandon was too far away. And, and so, and I mean, I'm standing out in the open. I mean, I'm in the, I, I'm in the shadows, but there's absolutely yeah. nothing blocking up my silhouette. So those two bulls take off and Bryce is trying to stop them. And, and so I go, I go walking over and the camera's still running and I walk by the camera and I walk over to Bryce and I said, you, you don't even want to know how close that dude was. <laughs> and I, said, six, I said 16 yards. And Bryce goes, when are you going to learn? I go, what do you mean? He goes, this happens every time you decide to leave your bow at camp and just call. We get backdoored and that bull comes right to you. He goes, you're supposed to be a smart guy, but when the heck are you going to learn to take your freaking bow <laughs> when you go out? And I said, you know, that's a really valid question. I said, I have a question for you. And he goes, what's that? I said, when are you going to freaking learn to come sit next to me when I'm back there calling since I always get backdoored when I don't have my bull on my bow? It's <laughs> a good question. It's a good question. I, when you said you were leaving your bow, I was like, oh, no, I know where this story is going already. Oh, yeah. Because every time I've ever left my weapon, I know I see something I could harvest. So mm -hmm. I just assume that's the same for everybody. Well, and, and, you know, here I am and I'm like, God, this is great because, because that five point was at 16 yards. That spike was about 21, 22. So I'm like, here we are on day two and I already have three bulls at, you know, 20 yards or less. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, we have still yet to hear a bugle. So no bugles at all. I mean, the, the, the one, the first day just mewed, those two didn't even say anyone say anything at all. And so, so I looked at Bryce and I said, well, we've, you know, we've got about an hour and a half of daylight left. Why don't we roll out of here and we'll go over to the point that, you know, we always get into Elkat and we'll just, you know, finish off the day doing blind calling there. Yeah. We get set up on that point. I get backdoored again. <laughs> oh God. Oh, yeah, man. I'm not surprised. So, so, so that's that's another lesson that I pulled away from this season. This is 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 as long as I have a tag in my pocket, my bow is going to be with me. Yeah. So, so I guess you know, thanks, Bryce. I finally learned my lesson after how many years of this. 
So tag in my pocket, always pack my bow. But, you know, part of it too is, is I get more enjoyment out of those guys punching tags. Cause I mean, I've, I've taken, I, I, I've been very, very blessed and fortunate to, you know, have a very, very high success rate on harvesting elk all throughout my career. And so it's, it's to that point where it's, it's, I get, I get more enjoyment out of those guys, you know, calling awesome. for them and, 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 you know, filling their tags. Yeah. I'll tell you, I, I think I might've told the story on the podcast already, but the, the, the year that I decided, okay, I'm going to get serious about elk hunting. It's no longer about drinking beer in camp and having a good time with the boys. I'm actually here to hunt elk. Um, that year at lunch one day, I was, it was a big rock, 20, you know, 10 feet, like from, from one side to the other. I'm trying to find out the best place to sit. So I set my rifle down and I'm walking around this thing. I sit on the opposite side as my rifle and I start to have lunch. Next thing I know, a herd of elk is to my right and I'm looking for a bunch. Of, I'm looking for my rifle. No. Oh yeah. It's on the other side. So I crawl over there and, and I had done enough research to know that like typically bulls follow the pack. But in this case, the bulls were at the front and they were the first ones I saw. They ran by. I had a bull tag. I had my rifle up with cows and spikes for five, 10 minutes, but the bulls oh, wow. just, just got out of sight before I got to my gun. So I've, uh, I, I won't even take a, a dump in the woods without yeah. having my, my bow. And now I'm a bow hunter, but at the time rifle, I won't have either. I'm going to have my gun. I'm going to have my bow on me, no matter what, even if it's, uh, even if nature calls. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You, well, you hear that That's one. how it happens. Well, and, and, and so, so let me, let me give you a little, little, little insider tip here. The reason that happened is because you started eating lunch. <laughs> I've, I've got a, I've got a buddy that's a guide and he will say that every time he goes, if you're out hunting and you're not getting into anything, just sit down and start eating a sandwich. Yeah. And you will see deer or elk, you know, whatever, whatever you're hunting. I believe it. It was actually the worst sandwich I've ever had that year. I don't think the temperatures got above 20 degrees. So my oh, sandwich I'm... was frozen in my backpack. Ah. So when I got it out, I'm just sitting here just chewing on a rock solid is like bagel cheese and ham. And I'm just like, this is awful. There's nothing. I'm just like, I'm just trying to get calories, just like warming it in my mouth so I can chew it. It, right. was, it was bad. It was bad. And then of course, there's the only elk that we had the opportunity on the entire trip. So but oh, insult the, the best lesson. Yeah. The best lessons are self-taught, right? They are. They, they, they really, you know, and, and, and honestly is, is it, it's amazing how many people go out, they'll tell you about their experiences. They'll tell you about what they got into. And then, you know, you ask them, okay, well, well, what did, what did you learn from that? What did you, what did you learn this year? Yeah. They aren't able to, to pick out the lessons. They, they aren't able to, you know, Oh, I learned this or I learned that. And, you know, a lot of them are like, yeah, pick better times to eat lunch or, you know, that kind <laughs> of stuff. it's like, well, okay. Yeah. No, you got to be able to kind of poke fun at yourself and the, the errors that you make. Otherwise, what are you doing it for? I, I think that you said something earlier, which was like you were in this just like perfect, serene place. And like oh, you have to enjoy gosh. the things like that. Like it's yeah. not about the harvest. It's about the no. entire process. So if you can't enjoy every minute of it and then notice when things go a little funky, yeah, it's it's, it's not worth it. So, yeah, no, this, this is. Yeah. It's it, 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 yeah, it's it's seen all of it. I mean, one of the things that I absolutely love is you know being out there and then seeing that first sliver of daylight crack on the eastern yeah. horizon, 
and then you start hearing the forest come alive. You start yep. hearing the birds start chirping and the, the squirrels chattering and just everything come alive with, you know, that first crack of daylight. And, and that is something that I absolutely just love. I mean, even after all the years yeah. in all the amount of time spent in the woods, it, it, it's just, I, I mean, even, even something as simple as just sitting there and listening to the sound of a Creek roll by. Yeah. I agree. You know, 100%. Yeah. The, the, and I will say that it started with me because I'm terrified of the dark by myself. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's scary out there. And so when those birds start chirping and those squirrels start throwing pine cones at you, you're like safe. that's when I, yeah, I'm safe. And that's when I know it's hunting time. And it's, it is my favorite place to be anywhere is right when that sun hits on yeah. any given hunting morning. It's yeah. so great. Yeah. And then when that sun gets high enough that it starts, you know, casting a light down on the ground, you know, you've been, you've been shivering in the dark, you know, cause it's always coldest before the dawn. Yeah. And, oh, and yeah. so yeah, as soon as, as soon as that sunlight starts hitting the ground and, you know, you're moving out of the shadows into that sand, into that sun. And, you know, you, you're like a little flower where you just, you know, open up to fold <laughs> that sun. It's like, Oh my God, I can feel the warmth. Yeah. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Well, this, Mike, this is, or excuse me, I respect Mike and Michael. Michael, uh, this has been fun, man. I don't want to cut you off here, but do you have any more stories? Or otherwise, we're—I've taken up a lot of your time. I know I bucked out an hour here, but if you have more, I'd love to hear them. But oh, if not, I'd love yeah, to share them I, for another day. Yeah, I've got—I've got plenty more, and, and yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, kind of, kind of get a little late, late in the night here. Four fifteen comes early, and I've got another gym session tomorrow morning. Oh, it's leg day. Tomorrow's leg day. Four fifteen. It's always leg day for hunters. It's always <laughs> leg day. You know what though? I I love it though when you know you, you work the legs really hard, and then you just you you feel that strong base, and yeah. you know having that strength in the legs and that strong base. It's it's. I, I dread leg day, but I love how I feel after it. And yeah, I don't. I don't know why my routine worked out where Friday has to be leg day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but yeah, I would definitely love to come back on and share a bunch more stories. I mean, you're you're talking 1988 to 2022, so there's a little bit of span in there with yeah. with stories and and you know a lot of shenanigans too. I, you know, you you mentioned about you have to laugh at yourself, and that is one thing that I absolutely try to do is keep things light in camp yeah. and keep, keep things light on the mountainside and i will sacrifice my dignity to create <laughs> i mean obviously you saw the podcast where i showed up with that hat that if you you know squeeze the pause the ears go up so yeah so so yes stuff stuff like that um yeah, you know, hunting partners real, real quick. Uh, so like I said, Bryce has hunted with me for, for quite a few years. And, um, Bryce's wife is a dental hygienist and she used to clean my teeth and she was telling me that. <laughs> so, yeah, this is how I met Bryce. Cause she was, you know, we, we got on the subject of hunting and, and she goes, yeah, she goes, you know, my husband and his hunting partner, they've been hunting elk for seven years and they've never heard a bugle or seen an elk. And I was like, wait, what? I was like, okay, have them call me. I'll take them hunting. And so really didn't know him that well. In fact, really didn't meet, you know, Kevin, who he was hunting with at the time until we were leaving camp. And so we go up and we drive to the end of this road and, and you know, this area we we're going to hunt. We pitch the tents and we go to bed. And that, that next morning, 
you know, it's still dark. I get up and I come rolling out of my tent in just my underwear, my boots and an Elmer Fudd style <laughs> hat running by their tent clap and go, we going elk hunting today. We going elk hunting today. <laughs> and I didn't know it at the time, but Kevin rolls over and looks at Bryce and goes, are we really going hunting with a person like that? What do you know about this guy? Who is he? And so, so that's 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 how uh, that that's how, how how the hunting journey between Bryce and I got started. That's and, amazing. Well, he stuck Kevin, around though. He stuck around. He did, and, and actually, Kevin hunted with us for a few years. In fact, I've got funny Kevin stories too. But and then Kevin moved to Wyoming, and he just recently moved back. So this year was the first year that Kevin was back in hunt or back gotcha. in camp you know, hunting with us, but, but yeah, so, you know, stuff like that. I, I normally do, you know, something funny when rolling in the camp. I mean, I'll come rolling in with my windows down, you know, playing some sort of music with my hat cocked, you know, some, some odd ways or, you know, stuff like <laughs> that. Um, I, I told, you know, Bubba teeth and a blonde wig and a trucker hat, you know, stuff like that. I, I told, I told my fiance Liz that uh, I'm going to go try to find one of those bedazzlers and I'm going to get a pair of jeans from the thrift store and I'm going to bedazzle the crap out of that thing. And I'm just going to show up in camp and then, you know, hop out with these over the top bedazzled jeans. And <laughs> then you got to take them hunting with you. Take them actually out in the woods. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That way when run into people on the mountainside and here I am in my bedazzled jeans. So Yeah. Kind of like uh who was it? It was uh Phelps that went out in the Hulk Hogan costume one yeah. year, wasn't yep. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you you gotta keep it light. You gotta laugh at yourself and you gotta have fun. I mean that's that's the main thing. Have fun and enjoy the time out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, why don't we why don't we why don't we stop here? I'm gonna have you back for sure because I want to hear I want to hear some of those embarrassing stories, not just some of these these uh, these great stories that you've told us today, because uh, everyone enjoys laughing at another hunter. Yeah. Um, but for now, let's go ahead and tell the people where they can find you. And okay, I know we've told them already, but let's give it to them yeah. again at the end here to make sure that they uh, they're paying attention, Michael. Okay. Damn it! It's <laughs> so funny because I am a Michael. I'm not a Mike. But I, yeah. I've never met another Michael, not Mike, and now I can't even get it right. So I'm sorry. It's all right. It's I'm all such right. Such a hypocrite here. Hey, I, I, I've been called a lot worse, so it's good. So <laughs> I bet. <laughs> all right. So yeah. So the website is elkcallingacademy.com. Um, it's, it's like I said, that is the paid membership that gets access to all of the tutorial videos, uh, all of the private live Q Q and A's that you know we do every two weeks. Um, and then social media, you know, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, just help. <laughs> you cringe a little bit on TikTok there. Yeah, I just, just a little cringe. I, I I don't do a lot on TikTok, but I but I see the popularity on it. So yeah. it, it, it's kind of one of those things where, um, you know, probably the people uh, are. Probably out of out of all of them, Instagram is where I, I post a lot more. Um, okay. And then you know YouTube, tons of tons of videos on YouTube. So uh, free uh, free videos with beginner's guide to elk calling that kind of get somebody going on a diaphragm read. And then several several Q and A's, live Q and A's where you know, like I said, I I used to do those, you know, for the public every Wednesday. 
And so yeah. there's probably two, two and a half years worth of those videos. So, but just tons of information, but yeah, Elk Calling Academy across each of those, and then elkcallingacademy.com. And, you know, like I mentioned before, that, that one is a, is a paid site. It's either $15 a month or $150 a year gotcha. uh, annual. So, and we are, you know, I had mentioned earlier that I was re-recording a lot of the, a lot of the e-course videos, because I actually am going to be transitioning sometime next year over into an actual e-course platform where it's going to be a lot easier to find information. It's going to be a lot easier to find the videos and just kind of a, a, a different setup. And so I've really been working hard to really get that dialed in and everything put together on that. And we'll still continue the, the, you know, private live Q and A's for all of those members every two weeks, just working on getting all those things and all the pieces of the puzzle put together. So, but, but still right now the lcallingacademy.com gets, gets access to all that. Once we do make the transition, um, you know, say for example, if somebody pays the $150 for the annual membership, when we do transition over into the new platform, I'll give everybody codes. And so basically okay, okay. they're, you know, they still have time left on their, on their annual, say, you know, four months, they'll, they'll have a code that they can punch in that gives four months worth of credit over onto the new one. So, Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much, man. This was fun. I, I, I can tell you're a natural, like, like I said, at the beginning, you just jumped into stories, like didn't even introduce yourself. You're like, I got, I got some stories. to tell. <laughs> I know. So, I know. I know. This, yeah. this is, this has been perfect. This is, you're exactly the kind of person we want to talk to. So thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. I asked one time and you immediately replied with, yeah, let's do it. So. Oh, absolutely. No, thank Definitely. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out and thank you for having me. And yeah, I would love to come back and, and share more stories, you know, kind of like what we talked about a lot of the podcasts that I've done in the past. It's, it, it, it's kind of more the technical side and, and yeah. you really don't have that opportunity to sit there and, and talk about, you know, the stories. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I try to incorporate those stories when I'm doing, you know, seminars and stuff, because, you know, those are those are experiences. But most of this, most of those type of stories, you know, there's usually a lesson learned or, you know, it's it's supporting something that I talked about. But just being able to sit here and, and you know, tell a story about my background and how things got yeah. started and and evolution. And and yes, I, I, I will break out some embarrassing ones on, on the, <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do have a few of those i you know got a got a few more few more funny we ones. all do we so, all do that's what we want next time is embarrassing funny and then i want to hear some stories that are not elk because i know you're known for your elk hunting but i'm sure you've got some stories for some other critters out there as well so uh but we'll save that for next time so okay. michael thank you so much i really do appreciate it i i, I really appreciate you taking your time and um yeah, it was great meeting you, man. Absolutely, Michael. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure and look forward to the next one. Absolutely. Cool. All right, guys. That's it. A bunch more stories in the book. I want to thank Michael Batiste, of course, for coming on. Um, he did not hesitate to say yes. He did not hesitate to tell some amazing stories. And he put up with me as I panicked when the audio was all lost. That being said, we found it. We got it. We put together a great episode. So, Michael, thank you so much. Um, as for you listeners, thank you guys again for tuning in. Uh, I'm really enjoying this. I'm getting some great feedback. Uh, that being said, reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Let me know if I can do something better, if something's not right, or if, you know, we're just doing a good job. Love hearing that stuff. Um, beyond that, if you have any stories, 
share with us, reach out, let us know. We're, we, I've got more and more listeners that are reaching out, and more and more of those episodes are coming soon. Um, and then finally, share the podcast. Review the podcast. Give us five stars on Spotify, on, on um, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is. We want more people to find out about this, and that's how we do it. Um, so that's it, guys. Thank you very much again for tuning in. Michael Batiste, thank you very much for telling us your stories. And everybody, go make some stories of your own.